Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your Wednesday Night Wars edition of the only wrestling podcast that allows you to bask in its glory. We will discuss everything that went down Wednesday night on NXT coming out of its takeover in your house show. We will also look at everything that happened on AEW Dynamite as it builds its way towards the two-week special editions of the show called Fighter Fest. Be sure to check out our episode description for timestamps. If you only watch one show or the other, maybe you've watched one, the other's still on DVR, whatever the case, timestamps are in the description of every episode here at Getting Over. So if there's anything that you ever don't want to listen to, you don't have to. But we want you to listen to the entire show. And before we get the ball rolling, to have you do just that, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. You know you want to. We will greatly appreciate it. And please tell a friend about your favorite wrestling podcast. Let them know how to subscribe to Getting Over. Retweet, like our stuff on Twitter. Share it with your friends, family, your doctor, your lawyer, whoever. Let them know about the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also a reminder for you, we already taped our WWE Backlash Ultimate Preview that is currently available on the feed. Be sure to listen to that before WWE's big show on Sunday. And Sunday night, as soon as Backlash is over, we will have instant analysis of the WWE pay-per-view for you right here on Getting Over. So if you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show. Now, we're here to talk Wednesday night wrestling, not WWE. And, you know, we've been going back and forth over the last few weeks in terms of critically Who's had the better show? NXT has won a couple weeks. AEW a few weeks ago gave us one of the best TV shows regardless of brand in this era of uh, pandemic wrestling, empty arena wrestling. But this week for me, critically, when you look at NXT, what they gave us and AEW Dynamite, it was not even close. I thought NXT gave us one of its absolute best shows of this era, one of its best shows in months. Whereas AEW, I really felt it fell by the wayside. And we came into this, if you listen to the Tuesday episode of this podcast, previewing both shows. And I said, you know, neither NXT nor AEW really had a strong lineup going into the show. But I think what NXT accomplished is it developed a ton of storylines and featured a great match in the middle of the episode. Where AEW, it kind of felt like it was waiting between a number of different things. And they did set one matchup for Fighter Fest, but not much actually happened in the episode. So for me, grading NXT, it was a flat A, a straight A edition of the show. I was thoroughly entertained top to bottom and perhaps in no segment more than the main event. So obviously we're going to start with NXT this week, but... A full main event for the second straight week. What does that mean? It means that they gave us 15 minutes or more. I mentioned there were numerous weeks where we were getting like eight minute main events, 13 minutes. You know you're not going to get a full match out of that. So last week, I believe it was like 20 or 22 minutes, something like that. This week, it was a full 15, which is exactly what you want. Um, When you have your NXT champion, Adam Cole, going up against Dexter Loomis, this guy who's on the rise, who fans are really excited to see. Loomis looked like he belonged there with Adam Cole. He got in a lot of offense and had Cole on the verge of submission twice. And not just that, 
He continued to terrorize Undisputed Era during the match. The spot with him crawling underneath the ring. I mean, it was meant for him to make them think that he teleported or something. But he crawled underneath the ring, got to the other side, surprised Adam Cole. Obviously, Undisputed Era was distracted. And then you had Velveteen Dream run in for the save, which makes you think. I thought the feud with Adam Cole was over with Velveteen Dream, right? And what exactly is he going to do if he's not challenging for the NXT title? Because he can't now in stipulation. That was part of the entire match for the backlot brawl. Dream, because he lost, cannot contend for the NXT title while it is around Adam Cole's waist. Well, I think what they are setting up for us is a tag team. With Velveteen Dream and Dexter Loomis, you're already, you already have the natural rivalry right now to go up against Undisputed Era. So you can have Roderick Strong, Bobby Fish against Dream and Loomis. They win. And then what do you do? You start setting them in motion to maybe go through Indusher, maybe not, but beat some of these other teams on the way to a possible tag team title match with Imperium. And you have them take the titles off Imperium. And now you have Dream and Loomis, this really wacky, weird combo of people who maybe are going to help revitalize this NXT tag team division, which you know, and I will talk about it later on the show too, I think it's pretty trash right now. Not that the teams aren't good. Imperium's really good in the ring. Lorcan and Birch are good in the ring. Breezango is fine, although I thought they had a great week this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the NXT tag team division is a shell of its former self. And if you're able to take a Dexter Loomis and a Velveteen Dream and, and get them into some weird artist dream group or, you know, torture dream or whatever they end up calling them, I really think it could work. But right now it does seem like they are teamed up against Undisputed Era. And you saw that a little bit, you know, in the opening segment as well, where you had Roderick Strong being shook and traumatized by Dexter Loomis and his experience with him and Cole seeking a challenger for his title. And you saw in that segment, you know, near the opening of the show where they're all backstage chatting, Keith Lee shows up and he says, hey, you know what? Don't look too far. It might be me. And it was a great chicken shit heel thing that Cole did where he basically runs away. And once he gets out of frame, he answers Keith Lee back like, you know, don't bet on a big man or something like that. So um, I thought NXT did a really, really smart job on the show Wednesday night because they got you as a viewer at the beginning of the show thinking, oh, okay, it's going to be Keith Lee going against Adam Cole, champion versus champion. Maybe we'll do a match like that. Maybe he'll hold both. Maybe he might have to relinquish the North American title. Your head starts spinning. And then all of a sudden, the main event ends and your head is going in a completely different direction. DM slide from John Dumphy at John Dumphy 68 is the seeming insertion of Karrion Cross as a challenger to Adam Cole and the NXT Championship more about Cross and a rapid rise to the top or about Cole and Undisputed Era moving from NXT to the main roster or is it a little bit of both? So the reason I wanted to read that question is because I feel like what I'm about to say next is going to answer it, even though I wrote it prior to, uh, I wrote the notes prior to the question coming in. It was a bit of a surprise to see Karrion Cross basically end the show, you know, seeming like he's going to be going right after Adam Cole. But it made a ton of sense when you consider the episode as a whole. Not only did you have the Keith Lee swerve earlier in the show, but they did show you Tommaso Ciampa getting into his car. They asked him to kind of discuss what happened to take over in your house. And he was completely unwilling and just absolutely rocked by he got the shit kicked out of him, you know, by carrying cross. So all of a sudden, this all leads to that moment in the main event. And don't get it twisted. They are strapping a rocket to Karrion Cross, And it's great to see 
WWE by extension, but NXT do that to a debuting superstar. You know, Cross, for as great as he might be, as much as people may like him, he's not Shinsuke Nakamura. You know, he's not Finn Balor. He does not have that momentum coming into NXT. But what NXT has accomplished is they've given him that momentum by the way he's been presented. The, the vignettes early, uh, the way Scarlett debuted with him, the use of Scarlett, you know, in addition to him, she's getting over just as much as he is. And what they did in that main event was Scarlett coming out with that huge hourglass and just ominously walking it to the ring and placing it on the mat and staring down Cole. No smirk, no smile, no evil eyes, just a confidence. It was such a badass ending to the show. And the shot of Cole gripping the NXT championship while the sands of the hourglass began to fall slowly, it was compelling. It was something that I can't remember seeing before in WWE or wrestling in general. And I'm not trying to say like, hey, it was the greatest ending to a wrestling TV show ever because we've had some incredible ones. But it is one of the best that I've seen in quite some time. I mean, you're talking probably, I mean, outside of Becky Lynch, um, you know, bloodied Becky Lynch after getting punched in the face by Nia Jax and the, and the SmackDown locker room attacking Raw. Outside of that, this is probably the best ending to a wrestling TV show we've had since 2018. So it was awesome. And I also love that they've made it so Karrion Cross does not need to be there just for you to feel his presence. Using Scarlet as this harbinger of doom is such a great use of her. She looks fantastic. And yet it, it works in that sense. I don't even mean it in that sense. I just mean the way she's being presented as someone who you're fearful of, but also obviously, yes, she is attractive. Look, there was more than one hourglass there at the end of the show. Let's just be honest. Um, but the crowd bought into it too. Them chanting fall and pray and then TikTok at the end of the show. I don't think that was scripted. I just think they're smart and they're that PC crowd. So the PC audience, the PC trainees, I mean. So they knew what to do in those scenarios. Maybe it was scripted. Maybe they were told to do that. And if they were, it's fine. But I just don't feel like they were. But all of this, and this is what leads to the DM question that I read, it is feeling like NXT is on the verge of starting a new era. And yes, I do think a large part of that is the fade out of Undisputed Era. Because what could potentially happen here is you could have Karrion Cross take out Adam Cole, and you could have Dexter Loomis and Velveteen Dream, which are two big names and people that are trying to get over, ultimately take out the tag team, you know, Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish, while Kyle O'Reilly's not there. And all three of them have a loss, Cole losing his title, being dejected, and then transition them over to Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or whatever the case. Or just give them a break, take them off TV for three months and allow us to feel refreshed watching NXT without Undisputed Era. Because as great as Undisputed Era is and as much as we like it, it has become very repetitive. Every Adam Cole title match, there's a distraction from Undisputed Era. He hits the last shot, he retains the title. And it's fine for heels to win that way. In fact, it's almost preferable in many ways because you believe them and their group as strong and as heels. But after a year of it, it's getting boring. Heels don't usually have year-long title reigns to that degree. Now you could say, well, what about like Seth Rollins? Yes, okay, for sure. He did have he did have that. But for me, that was 
Seth Rollins being a huge chicken shit the entire time. He needed J&J security. He needed the authority. You know, he had to have all those people. Whereas Adam Cole has gone out there and done it himself for the most part. He's been able to have five-star matches without Undisputed Era interfering. But when NXT has nothing, no other way for him to retain the title and stay strong, they insert Undisputed Era to kind of help him. So that is kind of where I look at it as... It's gone on a little too long, maybe a couple months too long. I, if TakeOver had gone down as planned WrestleMania weekend, would he have lost it to Velveteen Dream in April? Would Dream be champion now? I don't know. I don't know if they changed their plans. Of course, we can't. But this does feel like the beginning of a new era. It does feel like it can transition from Adam Cole to Karrion Cross, not miss a beat, and they can figure out exactly what they want to do with Undisputed Era. Hey, maybe my long-term plea will finally come into existence, which is put in, putting Dominic Dijakovic with Undisputed Era as the heavy, make him a five-man faction, and debut him on the main roster. We will see. Either way, the ending to NXT on Wednesday night was absolutely superb. Chef's kiss. Mwah. And they are nailing, absolutely nailing, carrying cross. More from NXT. You know, I've been giving the Keith Lee and Mia Yim, Johnny Gargano, and Candice LeRae angle grief for being unnecessary, trying too hard to be funny and and failing. But the mixed tag team match was really good. And it was a very smart finish of having Lee uh, be DDT'd onto Candice. And then they sold how despicable of a person Johnny Gargano is now by not giving a crap about his wife's health, even despite Lee trying to pick her up and take her out of the ring. Using that as an opportunity to roll him up, Lee basically rolls Candice out of the ring, off the ring apron and onto the floor. Gargano gets the roll-up win and, you know, basically treats Candice like it's weekend at Bernie's, like waving her arm like she's dead uh, at the end. So no surprise that that match was entertaining. I thought Mia Yim did a really good job. Candice, obviously, one of the ways she made her name is as an intergender wrestler. So no surprise that in a mixed match like this, uh, mixed gender tag match, whatever you want to call it, um, no, no surprise that she was awesome, of course. The, the swinging DDT uh, with Keith Lee, that was a great spot as well. And, and seeing Candice and Keith Lee matched up against one another. I mean, you think Gargano and Keith Lee is funny. Candice, like a little pixie in Keith Lee, it's hysterical. So it did work for me all of a sudden after all this stuff that I just didn't like and I thought was unnecessary and in some, in some aspects stupid. This worked and I am curious to see, you know, where they go with this. Is it just going to be another Lee Gargano match? Is he going to take the title off Keith Lee? Does that put Keith Lee in that main event picture, maybe it's not carrying cross like we all think. I, I don't know, but the fact that I'm asking all these questions is what makes it exciting and interesting. Another DM slide from Steven at Steven6025. He said, uh, you were talking about all the titles the other day, which ones you like, which ones you hate. Where would you rank the NXT North American Championship? I and love that one. Probably my favorite of all of them. The NXT titles really do dominate. I think top to bottom, the grouping of NXT titles, especially if you include NXT UK, are the best individual brand in North America. The NXT UK, the men's championship, is the best looking title. Number one, if if I was doing a whole list of every title power rankings, number one on that list. Uh, North American's really good. It's nice. I like that it's different. It's completely different from every other NXT title on both brands. I don't know where I'd rank it. I'd really have to actually sit down and put a list together. And maybe 
we'll do that. Maybe I'll do it with Chris. We'll give our like top 10 titles between WWE, NXT, and AEW. But I do think it would be in the top 10. And, you know, if you were able to count the regular Intercontinental Championship, you have the NXT UK, the regular IC. Um, You know, people don't like the WWE Championship. I do. I think it's a really nice looking belt. Those would all be there. North American would be right there. You know what? It would probably be top five with AEW, um, the main title, the world title being in that top five as well. So let's say that. um, But yeah, no, it's great. And it is the exact opposite of the shitty, ugly, crappy, cheap looking Intercontinental Championship that WWE is currently using. All right, back to NXT. Uh, Even in a squash match, you could tell how green Indushare is. They need some type of character development along with these squashes. I still have no idea of their purpose, what the specific gimmick is outside of them being Indian, uh, why Malcolm Bivens is needed. I love him, but some of the reasons he's great is because of his mic work. And yeah, we did get that one promo with Riddle, but outside of that, nothing. I mean, he could have cut a promo after that match. They could have done a vignette ahead of the match to kind of introduce them. Nothing. So I don't think they're great as a team, although I did recognize the power uh, from one of the guys. I don't know their names yet, obviously, but it did. It was interesting, but I need more because, again, the tag team picture in NXT is lacking. Now, that said, the Brazango conversation that they did is probably the best thing that they have done as a team since the Fashion Files. And it's definitely the best thing they've done since returning to NXT. I like them much more being joke serious tongue in cheek instead of totally goofy. I don't need them dressing up as ER doctors or firemen or any of that crap. I I like them being themselves and goofy and kind of recognizing like, look, Fandango's 38, like Johnny Curtis, this guy. And he's been in WWE for a long ass time. And yeah, he was serious for a bit as Fandango. It didn't work. But this is an extremely talented wrestler who's never really been given outside of his debut, a true spotlight. Then you have Tyler Breeze, who, you know, my old co-host, Brian Campbell, the old host of the show I was on, I should say. Brian Campbell, one of his favorite wrestlers. And he said it in that interview. This is the 32-year-old guy who has his whole career ahead of him. Meanwhile, he's already been in WWE for like 10 years, right? So just an incredible career that he's had. But them as a team, there needs to be something more than just hey, we're joking a little bit and we can do flips over ropes and we're kind of athletic and we're kind of good in the ring. They need to be serious. And if they can do this tongue-in-cheek, joke-serious gimmick where they kind of say, look, we're talented, but it's been too fun and we need to figure out a way to kind of hone down our talents and actually be something in NXT, I would love to see that. And I think the tag team picture would be better and it would be believable for them to actually win the champions championships at some point soon. Uh, it's great that the this tag team title match with Brizango and Imperium is going to be on next week's show. And it's great, even better, maybe. They're also going to have a women's tag team title match on the show, which obviously, I mean, if it's going to lock down my pick even more, Bailey and Sasha Banks better be retaining the titles uh, at Backlash. So potentially Bailey and Sasha Banks against Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. It's going to be a hell of a match. That means two tag team title matches next week on NXT. I am all for it. And I love that they're letting Bailey and Sasha Banks, presumably, but whoever the champions are, be on NXT. It's good crossover. People will tune in for Bailey and Sasha. That's how good they are doing. So it's a ratings grab, potentially. It's also a quality match. It makes sense in kayfabe. 
Really good stuff right there. Uh, I did appreciate the realism throughout the entire show of all the reactions that NXT talent had to their losses at TakeOver. I mentioned, you know, Champa earlier, him being completely dejected as he should be, losing back-to-back major matches to Gargano and then Cross. You had Damian Priest who completely accepted the loss, didn't make any excuses and said, hey, you know, despite the loss, I had a great match with Finn Balor that people were talking about, and it's going to help my name live in infamy, which is his entire gimmick. And it's true. Everyone was talking about the Balor-Priest match. So despite the fact that he lost, he still somehow stayed strong. That's the goal of booking in professional wrestling. And then you had Rhea Ripley, of course, with a fun interaction with Robert Stone and her being able to take out her aggression on him. I mean, there were people already kind of fantasy booking them together. I don't want to see that. But another interaction or two wouldn't be the worst thing. But ultimately, the goal, the hope, is that Robert Stone would find someone to manage and then have them try to go up against Rhea Ripley. I don't know who it's going to be. Is there a performance center talent that they are planning to debut with Robert Stone? I mean, they kind of had just done that with Chelsea Green, right? So I'm not sure. But if it was me, I think I would put him potentially with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. This You have this manager, career manager, now taking this really strong duo under his wing. And I just feel like that could work all together. But maybe there's another talent I'm not thinking about. Maybe he can take someone that hasn't been getting a lot of TV time and suddenly turn their gimmick around and get them back on, someone that we've seen before. I don't know, but I am excited to see what they do with Robert Stone Uh, And I wasn't, I did not feel that way. Despite me liking him with Chelsea Green, I didn't care much about him. Now, all of a sudden, he's doing this whole, you know, out of work manager gimmick and it it works for me. So keep on going, Robert Stone. Uh, Great match between Finn Balor and Cameron Grimes really allowed Grimes to get over uh, his in-ring ability, yet it was clearly the right decision to put Balor over as the winner. And we also got to see a little bit of Grimes' personality in the backstage segments, which I thought was much needed as well. DM slide from Brian Owens at Owens11B. Do you think we ever see Cameron Grimes on Raw or SmackDown? He makes me laugh. pretty good in the ring, uh, but I'm not sure I see him really doing anything outside of where he is. I feel he'd be a No Way Jose type on one of those shows, and nobody wants that. I don't know that he would be No Way Jose necessarily, but I do agree that I'm not sure this is a gimmick that can work long term. It is different, but, you know, it's a little old school in that regard. And I would be concerned about it working on the main roster. I don't see him having a big future on the main roster in this role. But there's one of the things that happens in NXT, especially when people first debut is they grow and learn and change. And if this can take a machination or two and kind of develop into something a little bit different, a little bit less corny, then maybe something like this could work. But this in particular, as it exists now, I agree. Um, I don't think this would work. Now, Balor winning, I did think he'd be the one to go right after Adam Cole. I mean, we mentioned earlier, Keith Lee, uh, certainly carrying Cross in the main event, made it clear that he would be going after, well, Scarlett did for him. But I thought it was going to be Balor. I thought it made a ton of sense to go Balor, Cole, Balor take the title off Cole and move on from there. Because who can argue with Finn Balor beating someone? Instead, Balor beats Grimes and challenges Keith Lee to come and find him when he's ready. And Balor Lee, holy crap. Uh, you know, no pun intended there with the Lee part. That is a match I definitely want to see. It's a rivalry I want to see. Of course, Lee, though, Lee is still going on with 
Johnny Gargano, right? So what happens is do they do a triple threat again? Holy cow, a triple threat between those three. And then maybe it splinters off into Lee versus Finn Balor. It's really interesting. And I'm excited to see what they do. But I do like that NXT is setting up multiple challengers and giving us a ton of different possibilities. It is one of the reasons why I loved this episode so much. It makes me want to tune into next week and see what happens. Does Balor just end up going right after Lee? Is he the one who takes the North American title off him and allows Keith Lee to move into the main event picture? By the time Keith Lee gets into the main event picture, who's the champion? All great questions, all things I want to know, and the reason why I was so excited by NXT. Adam at Adam Tyree, he writes in, I really wish Finn Balor was back on Raw or SmackDown now. With Brock and Roman gone, I think he could be doing some fun stuff. Uh, He still feels like a a once-in-a-generation star, and they squandered him. Fighting for a mid-card NXT title is kind of meh. A big fish in a small pond has little room to grow. So I do agree that long-term Balor does need to go back to the primary roster. I don't think it needs to be right now. His second run in NXT is kind of just getting started. He probably has another six, eight, nine months where he can have plenty of feuds with all these great wrestlers before he moves on to one of those shows. But ultimately, you are right. Balor is a main roster, main event caliber guy. And when he was in WWE, they did give him that chance. Let's not forget, he debuted and beat Seth Rollins to become the first universal champion. They had planned to go in that direction. And obviously he got injured in that match, totally derailed him. And they saw him as nothing but a mid-carder since then. But in the current WWE, and yes, folks, things have changed over the last few years. It may only be a little bit, but things have changed. When you see someone like Drew McIntyre getting over as the main champion, you look over at SmackDown, you have uh, Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles in the finals match for the Intercontinental Championship and a tournament as a whole that has been giving us numerous good matches. You see Andrade and and, uh, Aleister Black and Murphy putting on good matches on Raw. It feels like Finn Balor would fit a lot better in what's currently happening in WWE as opposed to when he came back from injury and Vince still had that mindset where it was only the big guys who could go over and you know you have to do those long storylines to build up Roman Reigns. No one can beat Roman Reigns. It feels like things have changed and it might just be temporary, but Finn Balor in a current version of WWE would really work and I do hope he gets back there sooner than later. I'm rooting for Casey Cantanzaro, man. Um, she's really good. I, I enjoy watching her in the ring. No, she should not have beaten Dakota Kai, and I was fine with the way that match transpired, but she hasn't really won anything since getting opportunities on TV, and I want to see her start getting victories, and I love the idea, love the idea of her teaming up with Caden Carter. They're both extremely athletic and talented, and WWE needs more teams that are actually developed together as a team long-term. Yes, with names with entrance music, all the things that make tag teams, tag teams, and not just individual wrestlers like Dana Brooke and Carmella thrown together for singular matches. Caden Carter and Casey Cantonazaro, both KCs, by the way, maybe there's something there in terms of a name. Um, they would be a really good pair together. And I think it would make sense for NXT to put them as a true NXT women's tag team who's able to go eventually after the tag team titles or get transitioned to the main roster and be a real tag team like the Iconics on the main roster. It does kind of seem like they're alluding to Dakota Kai being the first challenger for Io Shirai's newly won NXT Women's Championship. I like it. 
She does make a good first challenger with Raquel Gonzalez by her side. Of course, that leads me to wonder, well, don't you want to finish that Tegan Knox feud first? Yeah, you do. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but Kai in that role does potentially make sense. I'm going to hold off judgment until we see more from the Timothy Thatcher character of being like this hardcore trainer. I like that they're at least giving him something that particularly was not overly entertaining. And, you know, it makes me wonder, and I said this after he beat Matt Riddle, really what kind of life is he going to have in NXT? What kind of role is he going to have? I can't ever see him being champion, maybe North American champion at some point, but the personality, is it there? You know, is he, does he have enough charisma to kind of get, get over? I don't know, but at least they're doing something with him. And I am kind of curious to see where they go with this character or with this storyline or angle that they're doing with him training a bunch of wrestlers. You know, is he going to have his own faction of just Matt wrestling technicians? I don't know. Uh, so at least I'm curious to see what happens. I thought the NXT gave us to wrap up here a very solid payoff with Elio de Fantasma, uh, officially revealing himself as Santos Escobar alongside Raul Mendoza and Jokin Wild uh, in his group. Uh, it was a classic uh, angle and classic segment of a face thinking his teammate or the guy that he believes is believes to be good has his back only for him to turn heel. It felt like a real heel turn by Phantasma because he did it to Drake Maverick. And then he obviously, after the beatdown with all three guys, stands there, puts his arms out and declares himself untouchable and cuts a promo in really good, crisp English where this entire time he's been speaking Spanish and you're left to wonder, can this guy speak? Does he actually have a future in WWE? Not that I think, you know, I always have to clarify. I don't think you need to speak English uh, exceedingly well in order to succeed in WWE, that, but it does help. No question, it helps, especially with Vince McMahon still on top and being a little reticent to push people who can't get over on the mic. So this was incredible, and it was such a great long-term payoff for this storyline because it goes beyond what actually happened on TV. If you're a wrestling fan and someone who knows Mexican wrestling at all, and I do not proclaim myself to be a big one, but I do follow some of the storylines, Phantasma was unmasked at AAA Triple Mania, which is their WrestleMania event, back in late 2018. And that happened as many people knew he would be signing with WWE and making his debut. So because of that, many expected him to debut with WWE without a mask. Andrade Cien Almas, now, you know, Andrade, also wore a mask back in Mexico. But these are, you know, look, they're handsome dudes, right? And they and they don't need the mask. So when, Fanta when Phantasma lost the mask, a lot of people were really stunned that he cut that vignette in a mask and he started wrestling the entire tournament in a mask. So there was also talk that he wouldn't be Phantasma in WWE for numerous legal reasons, copyright reasons, whatever the case. And a lot of people thought he'd be going by his real name, Jorge Bali, which is not a great ring name. You know, I don't know what it means, if it has any significance otherwise, but not a great wrestling name. San Santos Escobar really works as a ring name. I mean, Escobar season has returned, you know, like that's what I think of. Um, obviously, Pablo as well. But and of course, those are related. But it just works as a name. He looked like an absolute total badass. As I mentioned, if you followed his ring gear, starting from his initial vignette where he was really in black and white and looked kind of badass to all the matches, he was wearing purple and then more white and then white and black and now all white and black. No more purple, except for I guess there was a little bit in the mask but he pulled the mask off 
right? And he told you, hey, I'm not going to be this classic luchador that you want to root for. I'm going to be a bad guy. I'm going to be a heel. So I loved it. You know, I love seeing Raul Mendoza and Wild get stuff to sink their teeth into. It does leave one question, though. Who were the original kidnappers? Because both Mendoza and Wild were kidnapped by other people before Phantasma made his debut. So you could say Phantasma was one of them, but there were like two or three kidnappers. Who were they? And are we actually going to get to see them on television? That is what I'm very curious about. So JMags at JMags316, he says, I loved NXT tonight. It was a good change from the typical recap and squash match episodes they've done historically. Do you think this is an episode that can act as a blueprint to produce post-pay-per-view shows? Would love to see SmackDown and Raw start developing like this. This is an episode that we used to get. The Raw after WrestleMania, the Raw after, you know, major pay-per-views, they would start setting the tone for new storylines and new characters going forward. This is what those shows used to be. But WWE recently has done a absolutely horrible job with those types of shows. This is the paradigm for what those should be. You know, it is what AEW accomplished after its pay-per-view, most recent show, uh, Double or Nothing. So this is what you want as a post-pay-per-view show. It was a little strange. I believe this was a taped episode. So for them to have accomplished that much in a taped show versus a live show where, hey, maybe some of your booking decisions change coming out of the pay-per-view. Maybe people get different reactions on social media than you expected. But that is how much better NXT is booked than the main roster and how well thought they are at long term compared to WWE Raw and SmackDown, although Raw and SmackDown are getting better, as we've mentioned. But this stuff was planned out and they gave us, as you said, J-Mags, a really good post-pay-per-view show. And, you know, I really can't, I don't think there was much in this NXT breakdown that I just gave you that I criticized because honestly, there wasn't a lot to criticize. And there's some weeks, I told you, the go-home NXT show they gave us last week, I was very disappointed. Yeah, we had a really good main event, but the rest of the show did very little to set up in your house. They rectified that and gave us a great post uh, in your house show. And I think really two thumbs up, a full letter grade of an A for NXT. Now let's talk AEW Dynamite, where we had Cody in the main event for the second straight week. Mark Henn was impressive and got in a lot of offense, including that spinning flip DDT and the somersault splash from the top rope outside. Uh, and Cody helped him look good in that match, no doubt about it. From there, uh, Jake Hager getting another title match so soon. whoop de doo You know, uh, he gets to go after the TNT title at Fighter Fest. That's now scheduled. But is Cody going to continue defending that title every week until then? It kind of gets us into the tag team situation where we know there's a tag team title match set for Fighter Fest, but they also named another number one contender in the interim. Don't like that very much. The end of the show for Dynamite also felt messy. The brawl was unnecessary and strange. There were too many people with too many different reasons to be in there. It just, it seemed like they were trying to go with a high energy finish where probably Hager coming out and staring down Cody may have been a better finish to the show. So, you know, this is emblematic of AEW Dynamite this week as a whole. I thought there were moments that worked and things I very much liked. I'm curious to see what happens in the future. But on Wednesday night itself, I did not find them to be, you know, overly entertaining. I did not find it to work 
in a major way. And I think, like I said, that was an example. This main event was an example of the rest of the show. And I will kind of break that down right now. But before I do, a DM from Adam McMonagall, Adam Mc314 on Twitter. Lot of Adam DMs, by the way, today. I think there's three, which look, love the Adams, but I mean, geez. Uh, you did sort of address it, but I'm very over Cody, he says. He's the only one who blades constantly. He gets pyro all the time. He's one of two guys that cuts the long in-ring promo almost every week. They're shoving him down our throats more than it feels like even Roman Reigns was. But because he has the mid-card title, they feel like they can justify it. So it's a good DM. Um, what I'm about to say, my answer to you, is something that I had actually been thinking about after last week's Dynamite. What happened was I was writing my notes down for last week's show, and it did not really make a lot of sense to me that AEW, a company that seems to be thoughtful with its storylines, both short-term and long-term, would be completely blind to how Cody is coming off to fans. I kind of disregarded it at the time because I had to tape the show, and I really wanted to talk about what actually happened on TV. But then I finished taping, and someone tweeted me a link to a thread on Reddit that actually spelled out something that clarified my thinking, which is that everything that Cody is currently doing in AEW is indeed him being totally blind and AEW being totally blind to how it comes off, or clearly a slow build toward a heel turn. So why would that be the case? I'm not going to use this person's points who wrote the thread exactly, but the thought process that I had was very similar. And it's along the lines of what the DM sent as well, because your DM, Adam, uh, basically said that you're starting to hate Cody. And the goal of any heel turn is to get fans to legitimately hate that person. So think about the fact that he has a coach and it's Arn Anderson and the smugness by which he has that coach and they operate as a nightmare family with matching jackets. Consider the absurd amounts of pyro that Cody's been getting his entire time in AEW. Yes, the fact that he blades all the time. He's been in the main event constantly, again, two weeks in a row. And we were talking prior to him being in the main event constantly, he was opening AEW every single week. He's also been beating a lot of faces. He beat Jungle Boy and Mark Quinn. He's got a lengthy introduction this week on his way to the ring and was even referred by Justin Roberts as the grandson of a plumber, bringing back, you know, the idea of Dusty Rhodes, him being his son, which on TV, outside of when it suits him, he mentions it, but he otherwise doesn't, right? He's becoming smug and entitled. And the Triple H comparisons that we all talk about in terms of booking and presentation are indeed things we hated about Triple H. And we said, hey, how does Cody not know he's doing the exact same thing? But maybe instead of him ignorantly doing the same thing, it's purposeful. So again, it is either that they are indeed going for a slow heel turn where they're actually trying to turn the fans against Cody, not just forcing you to turn against Cody based on the storyline, because he gets on fans' nerves and he's putting himself over so much. And naturally, the internet wrestling community, the IWC, doesn't like that. Or if it's not that, they are legitimately blind to how otherwise their top face in the company is coming off. So can AEW be that blind? 
I don't think they are. I do think it probably is a slow heel turn, but it is going to be interesting to see how it transpires because as I say all the time, predictable can be good, but unpredictable is also great. And if this is what they're doing, I'm very excited to see how it plays out. Now, AEW Dynamite opened with FTR's debut match, and it was good, of course, because they're great in the ring. It was necessary to put them over the Butcher and the Blade. But I can't lie, I was taken out of that match by Chris Jericho on commentary. He was trying to put them over so strong, and he was being such a heel that it was completely overdone. It felt like he was overhealing it up all night, and it was much more enjoyable when he was joining commentary in a real role, when he actually sat down with Tony Schiavone and just kind of broke down matches and told old stories. That is the Chris Jericho on comedy I like. Him being a total heel for the first hour of that show, it really took away from my enjoyment of the show. It's not that I don't like Chris. I love him. I like him being a heel. I totally get what he was doing. But it was so overdone and having four voices on commentary, it actually affected how I watched the show. So Chris Jericho on commentary normally, awesome. This week, Market zero. women's tag team match was entertaining and it was good to see Penelope Ford get a huge win, even if she used the title as a weapon. Um, the cameraman on the finish to that match you guys got to watch that camera angle when you see Penelope Ford uh, doing a fisherman suplex pinning combination. Very dangerous. Very, very dangerous right there. Uh, but no, I, I thought she did a great job in that match. And I was glad that they're finding another woman to kind of get some momentum behind uh, aside of Karushita, aside from Nyla Rose and, you know, Chris Statlander, who we already know are some of the featured women in that division. It's crazy to see the way the AEW women's division looks now in terms of who's getting attention, as opposed to the first you know six, nine months of when this company started. It's still nowhere near WWE, NXT, or even Impact for that matter. But I do like Penelope Ford, and I was glad to see that she got some time on screen to really put something out there. I also find myself kind of alternating each week, whether I like the Darby Allen vignettes or whether I don't. This week, him falling off a ladder five times and then high-fiving Tony Hawk. Zero point zero. Uh, Britt Baker continues to be great, rolling her wheelchair uh, in that training sequence or the rehab sequence, trying to pull a five-pound weight. Man, that popped me in a major way. I was laughing my ass off. And then still needing help to pull that weight and having her assistant kind of come and grab it. Absolutely hysterical. Uh, the six-man tag match. That was a fun match. But AEW did revert a little bit, not giving a shit about tag team rules there. Something they have improved significantly over the last few months. And the Inner Circle lost again. Factions can stay losing and remain strong, yes. But I would still like to see them start winning again since they do have the clear numbers advantage. Use it, win some of these matches. You know, you can't just keep losing time and time again. They just lost a huge feud to the Elite. Now you got to start getting them over a little bit. Them losing to best friends in Orange Cassidy. It just, you know, it wasn't ideal is the best way I can say. Uh, I did like the idea of, of course, using oranges as a weapon against Orange Cassidy. But if you're going to call them blood oranges on TV, use blood oranges. They're plentiful in the state of Florida. You saw when Chris Jericho bit into it. It was a regular one. I know that is a nitpick as a Floridian, as a resident of this state, as someone who loves oranges, blood oranges, 
and every, all the citrus fruits that we get so easily around here. Find some blood oranges. They're red on the inside. It would make a lot more sense given that you bladed Orange Cassidy. And while I do really like Orange Cassidy, what I love about him and his character and his gimmick is when he gets into a match and goes from zero to 60, and he did that against Hager, Santana, and Ortiz. It was totally entertaining. He is a very talented wrestler. He doesn't get enough credit for his ability and his agility. Um, So I'm interested to see where they go with this Orange Cassidy-Jericho feud. Obviously, it is something to hold them over until we get Jericho-Tyson, which presumably will be at all out. So it is going to be cool. But I do hope that Chris Jericho ultimately beats Orange Cassidy, maybe at Fest or whenever they have a match, because that is what you need to do. Yes, Jericho can lose, but ultimately he needs to win more than he loses, despite being a heel and in some small cases, a chicken shit heel. MJF, by the way, is 100% right about being number one in the rankings, undefeated for over a year and not sniffing a title shot. And I get that it's in kayfabe that he's saying these things, but it goes back to my comments about the AEW rankings. Either they mean something or they don't. Why does he not have a title match? Why was Brian Cage able to leap him? Why was he unable to just get a TNT title match against Cody whenever he wants it? It doesn't make sense. If he's number one in the ratings, he should, in the rankings, I'm sorry, he should be getting that opportunity or the rankings don't mean shit. Uh, I do like the idea of MJF kind of getting into it with Billy Gunn and a win over Billy Gunn next week, presumably when they fight. It's meaningful because it is Billy Gunn. So I like that they're kind of kind of finding a way to get him involved. That's really good. It was also really good to see Sammy Guevara get a clean win. Uh, not like he was hurting for one necessarily, but considering he did get his ass kicked by the elite and Matt Hardy twice, you know, to have him get a clean victory was solid. It would be really nice for them to build him up to be a big time TNT title challenger. And I don't know ultimately who will take the title off Cody, but Sammy Guevara would be a really good choice, even if it was with the help of Chris Jericho. I also enjoyed the continued interactions with Matt Hardy. And I like the idea of him trying to be like this big brother, convincing Sammy to move away from Chris Jericho for the good of his career, because obviously Matt Hardy spent the majority of his career in a locker room with Chris Jericho. So it makes total sense in real life and in kayfabe. I also like that Matt is seemingly no longer fully associated with the elite and is helping private party on screen, kind of mentoring them as a young athletic up and coming tag team. That's a good use of him as well. The feud between Matt and Sammy is going to be good ultimately. And I think it's a good opportunity for Matt to put over a young talent and hopefully Sammy does win that feud and gets elevated. And if he does, I really would like to see him get a TNT title opportunity and maybe even take the title off Cody you know, they said it there. Sammy is the future of AEW. And it's been said from the very beginning, Sammy, Hangman Page, those are guys you got to protect and you got to book them really well, because that is your top tier young talent that can develop into your future main event stars. It was nice to see Dark Order finally together as an entire six person unit. But we're still in that situation where the group, the faction has accomplished absolutely nothing. I do not care one iota about whether Colt Cabana is going to join them or not. It doesn't mean anything. Um, Brody Lee lost his first major match to John Moxley, and it wasn't very good as it was. The rest of the organization has done absolutely nothing. Look, they say they have long-term plans for Dark Order. Fine. Is it better than it was at the close of 2019 when they ended that dynamite with like an absolutely horrible segment? Yes, it's way better than it was then. But better does not mean good. Uh, the Joey Janela soul-searching vignette 
I thought it was really solid. And then Sonny Kiss showing up in a convertible and like him getting in. It's interesting. I'm curious to see where it goes. Again, I talked about it with NXT. Leave me wanting more. Leave me desiring to see the next chapter of a storyline, a feud, a vignette, whatever the case. And they accomplished it with Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss. I want to know what happens there. I will say, it is strange to see, and this is the real criticism I had for this episode of Dynamite. It is strange to see so little of John Moxley, the AEW champion, one of the biggest names in the company, and two of AEW's most popular stars, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, on a two-hour show. You got to find ways to get these people on TV, even if they're not having matches. Why is there no buddy, fun buddy interaction stuff going on with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page? You have Hangman drinking, you have Omega kind of doing the milk stuff, maybe workouts, maybe them working out together, Hangman drinking beer between sets, Omega drinking milk, them going shopping together. I don't know, but there's obviously this, you know, dichotomy in the two characters. And you kind of saw it a little bit when they did that hidden cam thing in the hotel room while they were like drinking, watching a match. I want to see some of that on television. These are big stars. These are people that fans want to see. It was great that we got a a solid, a pretty decent edition of Dynamite. But what did we really get on that show? We got Cody against Mark Penn. Jericho was sure he was on commentary. And I said, you know, I told you, I didn't think it was very good. But your biggest stars aren't there. Phoenix, one of your best wrestlers is hurt. He's not there. Pentagon is in Mexico. Pac uh, is in England. They can't get over. So use the people that you have, your big stars on television. What did we get in NXT? We saw Adam Cole in a match and multiple segments. We saw Tommaso Ciampa mentioned, even though he wasn't there. We saw developments with Karrion Cross and Keith Lee. NXT gave us their stars this week. AEW did not, and many weeks does not. And I do think that that is something where when you see like the ratings uh, for 15-minute periods, Meltzer breaks them down. People on Reddit and Twitter break them down. I don't really get overly concerned about the quarter hour ratings breakdowns. Winner, loser of the overall, that's all I really care about. But when you see people change the channel and you wonder why, and this goes for both programs, it's because they're not giving you hooks, right? AEW is not giving us a hook. Hey, later in the show, you're going to see John Moxley. Don't forget. And he's going to do something and say something in the middle of the ring. So that is what I want to see more from AEW and NXT. We talk about NXT and all of its problems promoting its shows. This week, they said, hey, we have two really good matches on this show, and you're going to hear from Io Shirai. And by the way, you're going to see Karrion Cross. Now, they actually didn't deliver Karrion Cross, but I, I don't think anyone's complaining considering how the show finished. So this week, from a critical standpoint, NXT, I thought, was the clear, better show. We're going to see what happens when the ratings come out. They may come out before you even listen to this episode. Last week, it was pretty close. AEW lost a lot because of everything that was, of course, going on in this country. Everything's still going on, of course, nationwide from a protest standpoint. But now that it's not as much breaking news, I do think AEW will get some of its viewership back that it lost. Maybe NXT will as well. But if you were watching and flipping between both shows, I'm just telling you, if it was me, I would have been watching NXT that entire night and probably not flip back to AEW. So maybe this is a week where NXT wins. Maybe they close the gap or maybe it's a surprise and AEW just, you know, beats them by another 60, 70,000. And maybe it doesn't matter how good the show is that NXT puts together. But from a critical standpoint, NXT, in my opinion, blew AEW away this week. Now, What is next? What's coming up next in the world of wrestling? Normally, we preview SmackDown and Raw for the following week. 
in the final segment of the show. Of course, nothing is announced for Raw because it will be the Raw after a pay-per-view backlash. And the only thing we really know about SmackDown on Friday night is we are getting the Intercontinental Championship Tournament Finals, Daniel Bryan against AJ Styles. And I know that Fox wants ratings. And I know that is why this match is on TV and not on pay-per-view. But Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles for the Intercontinental Championship, that is a pay-per-view match. I hope this thing goes three segments. I hope it's an absolutely tear-down-the-walls quality match. And ultimately, I hope Daniel Bryan comes out on top as the new Intercontinental Champion. I love the idea of the title being defended every week, which is what Bryan said he would do and Styles said he would not do. I also think with AJ Styles on the SmackDown brand, you really badly need challengers for the Universal Championship. And I would much rather see Styles go after Strowman. And honestly, take the damn title off Strowman at SummerSlam than I would see him parading around as Intercontinental Champion. Daniel Bryan, you have to remember, the IC title is one of those that he won and had to give up due to injury the second time that he left WWE. So I would love to see him get a really long run, bring some prestige back to the title, and for the love of God, start a different design somehow, get rid of this ugly piece of crap that we talked about last week, or I guess Tuesday, just get rid of it. It's absolutely horrible. But I do want to see Daniel Bryan win. And I do think SmackDown, because of this match largely, is going to be a great show. I I plead with WWE. It's a taped show. They can move it around. I doubt anyone's listening. This should be your main event. Don't main event, you know, Bailey and Sasha in the women's tag team picture. Don't main event Braun Strowman and Miz and Morrison, whatever crap they're going to do with that storyline. This is a main event program. This should be the final 30 or 35 minutes of SmackDown on Friday night. I hope it is, and I hope it gets them a big rating because Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles is absolutely great booking. Thank you to everyone for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A small Easter egg for you. I did mention that I was listening to Triple H's post-NXT TakeOver conference call, and he said something that I say all the time, which I mentioned earlier in the show, that predictable is good, right? So I was able to grab the audio from that conference call. It will be a new sound drop here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But since you listened this long, since you're this deep in the episode, you're going to get the first listen of it. Sometimes predictable things are good. That's right, Triple H. Sometimes predictable things are good. But every time, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is great. And because of that, I want you all to head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio Drop us that five-star rating and review. It helps us grow. It helps us become more prominent in the wrestling podcast landscape. And I would greatly appreciate you taking a minute out of your day to do that. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Follow me on Twitter at SilversteinAdam. And please remember to check back Sunday night immediately after WWE Backlash for instant analysis of WWE's latest pay-per-view. We will break down every match every storyline on the card and it will tide you over until our Tuesday show where we break down Raw and anything that happens on SmackDown that does not relate to the pay-per-view that is coming Tuesday instant analysis Sunday night or Monday morning depending whether you're asleep or when you wake up thank you all for listening so much to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast the Silver King is about to sign off but before I do you know there's one more person that wants to say goodbye 
Elizabeth, come on out here, oh, man. Whoa. We got something going that's oh, really big. Yeah. Look in the video school right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going. Yeah. We to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And how Quinn's got no chance busy. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Radio no. Center? And no. they're the greatest personal past, present, and future that ever lived. Okay, let's say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, we'll get out of here. Oh, that's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. And thank you all for listening. Bye for now.